You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Could you imagine if that was a headline on the newspaper? It's not here. He's risen, just as he said. What kind of a news report would that have been if you had seen that that morning? See, I think the world that we see, the world that we're a part of, it doesn't need more news. You know that, our news feeds are flooded as they are. Our world doesn't even really need good news, because there's some good stuff. What our world needs is life-changing news. News that can convert hopelessness into hopefulness, death into life. News that can redirect someone's life. It can bring joy and peace and beauty. Here's her story. She wasn't like everyone else in town, and she knew it. Everyone else could kind of smile and mean it, but she couldn't. Everyone else could look on the bright side, just kind of paint a smile on, look at the glasses half empty, and now she was half empty. They were the half full, and she couldn't really get there. There was a shadow over her soul that never really seemed to lift. In a small town, everyone knew everybody's business, and everybody knew hers. At least they knew enough to stay away. No one really talked to her anymore. I mean, sure, they said hi, just like people do today, but didn't really mean it. No one really saw her. Sure, they glanced her direction, but no one really made eye contact. She was pushed to the periphery, consigned to the corner. She had become an invisible person with an unnamed weight. Her life was like a closed door with rusted hinges. She was stuck inside, locked inside, frozen with fear, shut up in shame, and defined by darkness. But then, out of nowhere, one day, he came. And he came with light, and he came with love, and he came in her undignity, in her desperation, in her darkness, and he said one word, and at his word, her life instantly changed. Everything was different. Rabbis don't do this sort of thing. They definitely don't talk to women. They don't seek them out, but this rabbi named Jesus, he was somehow different. From the moment he spoke, darkness ran, and Mary was finally, fully, and forever free. And so she followed him. I mean, what else could she do after everything he had done for her? Still, though, three years after that, here she was, standing outside of an empty tomb after the three most disorienting days of her life, Friday, Sent everything into a tailspin. Jesus was dead. She was there. She saw it, and everybody scattered. And Saturday was spent in silence and in tension. Like, was this all over? Was this all just in my imagination? What are we supposed to do now? And so Sunday morning, 
exhaustion, empty inertia, residual grief, Mary comes to mourn with an armload of spices and a heart full of hollow. And you know what's going to happen. Because we just sang about it. You know how this story goes. It's Easter morning. This is a very common tale. But so often, I think, our lives kind of mirror Mary's at this point, don't they? Tell me if you've ever felt anything like this in recent years, months, days, hours. We are busy but bored. We're happy but hollow. There's just something inside of us that's off. There's something around us that's off. We can't quite put our finger on it, but something doesn't feel right. We feel restless. We can't sit still. There's something wrong. I think there's a word for it. That word is empty. There's an emptiness. <laughs> so here's what I want for you. I don't want Easter Sunday to be just another Sunday. Right? You get up, you do the church thing, you go home, you have dinner, and then we're back on with life. I don't want to get lost in the plastic grass and the vinegar-smelling egg dye. I don't want to get lost in family dinner and all that stuff. I don't want momentum. I don't want inertia. I don't want that for you because I don't want that for myself. I want to be swept up in worship of King Jesus, who, because he emptied himself, can now give life to the full. But how do we get there? So I want to invite you to join me in God's word I'm going to take a look at the first Easter about 2,000 years ago. And as we drop into this familiar scene from John's gospel, here's what I want you to know. Because of Jesus, emptiness is not the end. It's an invitation. So, John chapter 20. You can follow along. You can just listen. That'd be fine, too. John 20. Here's where the story starts. Verse 11 says that Mary stood weeping. Outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Can you just hear the emptiness underneath those words? They've taken my Lord away, and I I don't know where they put him. A few things we need to see. First off, who is Mary and what's she doing there? This is Mary of Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven evil spirits three years earlier. Changed her life. She was from a small fishing village named Magdala. She was one of Jesus' closest disciples. She was there at the cross when he died. John doesn't tell us explicitly why she's there, but it's easy to assume she's there to mourn. Jesus had become not just her friend, her savior, her Lord, her teacher. Jesus was everything to her. It's easy to imagine if you've lost a loved one, a spouse, a friend, a family member, a child. If you've lost someone that you love, sometimes going to their grave can be helpful, can't it? Just to talk as if they were there. You sit at the kitchen table opposite of where they used to be and have a conversation as if they were there. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It just means you're grieving. Mary's grief surfaces in a way that's pretty common to most of us. Second detail in this story is she's weeping. She's weeping. Now, this is not the same word as crying. This isn't this quiet, restrained shedding of tears under your breath, kind of holding it in. This is this, like, unfettered, ugly cry, like, out there, like, not holding anything back. Uncontrolled, anguish-driven. This is wailing. 
Interestingly, this word shows up eight times in John's gospel, and every time it's connected with death. Losing someone we love hurts, doesn't it? Especially when our, our lives are so rightfully wrapped around theirs. And when the person is no longer there, it feels like a death that's deeper than the cessation of life. It's the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of connection. Something that was, now can't be. The third detail we need to see here is, it's interesting, Marion's not just weeping because Jesus died, she's also weeping because his body has been violated. She showed up emotionally prepared to grieve, and he's not there. This would be like going to a cemetery to mourn a loved one on the anniversary of their death and finding their headstone covered in spray paint and graffiti. This is like grief compounded. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is insult to injury. But then the last detail, which seems to me a little bit over the edge, it seems almost cold, is what's with the gentle rebuke question from the angels? Woman, which is how you would address an unwelcome stranger in Jesus' day. Woman, why are you weeping? As if she goes, well, like, it's obvious. I'm at a tomb. I was expecting to see Jesus, and he's not here. So what am I supposed to do? I can't see him. I can't hear him. I can't follow him. I can't even mourn him. So where should my grief go? Do I just, like, stuff it down there and just pretend it's not there? Just forget about it somehow? And so overwhelmed by grief, the words just tumble out. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've laid him. Translation, this horrible thing has happened, and I can't fix it. Hmm. I thought things were going this way. Clearly they're not, and I don't know what to do. 48 hours ago, my life had meaning and purpose and beauty. Now nothing, empty, over, gone. You ever been there? Sure you have, right? I have, more often than I'd probably like. Just that feeling of emptiness, right? And you can see it coming, like the little gaslight on the dashboard shows up, like, burp, better pull over. And you're like, nah, I'll be fine. You just keep kind of cruising. It's a horrible feeling when that actually happens, isn't it? This profound sense of disappointment that leads to fear and anxiety and emptiness and hollowness. Things are not the way they should be. You can't quite say why, but you're just empty. But how many of you know that that is when Jesus does some of his best work? When we are too tired to believe, but desperate enough to still hope. When the words don't come because there are no words left. When we expected Jesus the least, but need him the most. And so the story continues. Here's what happens next. Verse 14 says, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. That's curious. We'll come back to that. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Ah, again, this time from Jesus. Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried away, or if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Now there is an ocean of emotions between the questions that Jesus asks and Mary's answer that's not really an answer. And isn't it curious? He repeats the same cold-hearted question. Woman, why are you weeping? It's obvious. But then Jesus pushes it further. Who are you seeking? And then maybe that'll jog her memory, get her back on the right track. And so exasperated, she just says, Look. If you move them, just tell me, and I'll move them. I'll go get them. As if to say, if you only knew. 
This wasn't just another prisoner. He wasn't just another body run over by the bus of Roman progress. This wasn't just a nameless political criminal. This man changed me. He welcomed me when nobody else would. He brought light when I was darkness. He gave me purpose and meaning and security, and now he's gone because it's over. If you only knew. Wait for it, wait for it. And it is curious, though, that she doesn't recognize him. That strikes me as something that's interesting. Bible scholars suggest all kinds of reasons, maybe because she was crying so much that her tears clouded her vision, although tears aren't really something that could prevent us from recognizing someone we know so well. Maybe her mental state was so fragile that she just like couldn't connect the dots. That's possible. Maybe it was early morning. We know that. And so maybe she just didn't see him. That's a possibility. But whatever the reason, she just doesn't recognize him. It's interesting that this non-recognition thing shows up a couple other places after Jesus' resurrection. You might remember the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, if you know that story. The text says that their eyes were kept from seeing him. So they have this whole conversation with Jesus. Then he breaks bread and they go, oh. Another one, Peter. Peter, Peter, who knew Jesus. He's fishing on the shore, and Jesus on the shore, and he's fishing out on the sea. Interestingly enough, the same sea that he was three years earlier when Jesus calls him, and Jesus says, hey, cast your nets on the other side, and then, oh my gosh, they haul in all the, it must be Jesus, and then Peter jumps out of the boat, and he books it to shore. They didn't recognize him at first. Here's why I bring that up, because when we are most desperate, that's when Jesus usually shows up. Emptiness is not the end. Emptiness is an invitation. But if you're like me, it isn't Jesus' love that you doubt. It's his timing. (laughs) Why does he wait so long? (laughs) Literally, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, literally going through the motions, out for a walk, putting one foot in front of the other, just trying to figure things out, just trying to get through the day. Then Jesus shows up. He breaks bread. Ah! and their memories snap back into place. Peter, the other six, doing what's most natural for them. They're out fishing, back to the family business, back to what's familiar, wondering what's next. Empty momentum. Jesus shows up, and from the shore he shouts, cast your nets on the other side, and then their memories snap back into place. What do all these scenes have in common? Hurting people, desperate people, directionless people, People just going through the motions, carrying on an empty momentum, trying their level best just to make it through until Jesus shows up. What's the point? So guys, that's you and that's me and that's us. That's the exact kind of emptiness that Jesus loves to fill. I don't know if you thought of yourself as empty, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you are. Every one of us are. We're born that way. But I love this thing in the Gospels. Jesus has a way of rallying around people who need him. And he also has this way of talking to people who think that they don't. He has this great little thing where he says, he fulfills this prophecy in Isaiah where he says, 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. What is that? What's a bruised reed? A reed is this thing, right? It's a big, giant blade of grass that's supposed to carry life up through it. This is how reeds are supposed to work. But there's this bruised spot. There's this dark spot. There's this spot that doesn't work right. And when the rest of the world says, eh, it's useless, mow it down, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to break it. I'm going to heal it. A smoldering wick, what's that? That's something on a candle or a lantern, this smoldering wick, that's this thing that's about to go out, supposed to bring light. It can't. Something's wrong. It's smoldering. When the rest of the world goes, ah, just we'll go get another one, Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't extinguish it. I want to heal that. I wonder if you ever feel that way. Emptiness is not the end with Jesus. It's an invitation. Is it any coincidence that Jesus, just days before he heads to the cross, he says, I've come that you might have life, and not just life, but life to the full. Hmm. We are empty people who need to know the power of an empty tomb. Hold on to that for a few minutes. So what happens with Mary? Back to her story. And this, to me, is one of the most tender moments in the entire Gospels. Serve, you know where they laid him. Just tell me and I'll, I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she turned and looked at him. What a beautiful moment that is. Everything that Jesus could have said, he just looks at her and he says, Mary. It's difficult to understand the power of the creator of the universe speaking your name. Jesus just says her name. Brings to mind Jesus' teaching also back in John 10 where describing how a gentle shepherd cares for vulnerable, fearful sheep says this, the sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name, and they follow him because they know him. And so Mary then moves from overwhelming grief to rock-solid belief. So the question for you this morning is not are you empty, Let's just get that out of the way. We all are. The sooner we admit it, the better. We're all empty. But here's the thing that I want you to hear this morning. With Jesus, emptiness is not the end. Emptiness is an invitation. An invitation to do what? To learn the beauty of the gospel, to rest in his fullness, to know Christ and Christ alone. Because under the emptiness, beneath the desperation, in that quiet place that we all have, there's something that makes us all the same. Everybody in this room and everybody watching online, everybody in this generation or that generation, everybody who votes your way or votes the other way, everybody who thinks one thing or thinks something else, there's one thing that makes everybody the same. We are all empty people who need to rest in the power of an empty tomb. This is this common denominator that all humanity shares. It starts like this. The gospel actually starts before the emptiness, before the desperation, way back in a garden We were created to be with God. And back then, humanity, our spiritual great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, enjoyed fellowship with God that was unbroken. We can't even remember that. All we do is we feel it like a hole that we can't fill. One of my favorite lyrics is by a singer-songwriter, Emmylou Harris, where she says, We are aging soldiers in an ancient war. 
seeking out some half-remembered shore. We drink our fill and still we thirst for more, asking if there's no heaven, what is this hunger for? Gosh, we remember what that was like, but we can't get back there on our own. Why? Because we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I know what you're saying. Well, if I was back there in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. Okay. <laughs> you know how I know that's a lie? Because we do it every day. <laughs> doesn't mean we should treat our sin trivially. It just means we actually have to admit it. Because we, we fill it up with all kinds of stuff. C.S. Lewis says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and drink like an ignorant child who's content to make mud pies in a slum because we have no idea what was meant by a vacation at the beach. We are far too easily pleased. We've all fallen, and we think we're doing okay. But Jesus, that's this great third act, that Jesus provides this rescue, this redemption that we need. I can't get back there on my own, but Jesus can do it for me. I'm not a perfect person, and neither are any of you. So just like let your belly out for a minute and just say, yes, that's true. Now what do I do about it? And your answer has to be Christ and Christ alone. Stop trying so hard and rest in what Christ has done for you. That's the power of the cross. And then the great ending of this whole gospel story is that from that point on, God starts to rebuild the things in you that we have all sabotaged by our sinfulness. And then one day this all gets wrapped up. This beautiful recreation where everything gets back to where it started. The pain is gone and death is over where there's no room for empty because Jesus has filled it all in. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope that our world needs desperately. And it's a hope that you need to square with. You don't get that just because you go to church or because your parents are Christian. Or you grew up in a Christian country, whatever that might mean. Or because you live here. Or because you have a Bible at home. That's not how this works. Did you catch... The songs that we were singing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Have you made this personal ever? Have you ever said, Lord, I have messed it up. I have sinned. I've broken your law and I've broken your heart. I can't get back to where I need to get on my own. I need you to save me and fix me. Have you ever made that personal? It's not some formulaic prayer. It's not an aisle you have to walk. It's not something you fill out. It's nothing like that. Have you ever talked to God and said, I need your forgiveness for the sins that I have committed. I need Christ and Christ alone. If you haven't ever said that, you are still stuck back here. And that emptiness you feel only gets worse. But the beauty of the gospel is all that emptiness goes away. Because you can have hell canceled and you can have heaven guaranteed. That's what Easter is. It's this exclamation point at the end of a very terrible week that just says, no, Jesus has won. Emptiness is not the end. Emptiness is an invitation. Our world does not need more news. Our world does not need good news. Our world needs the kind of news that can change your life. And so today, I do want to encourage you. If you've never made that personal, what in the world are you waiting for? <laughs> you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
Today could be the best day ever. Not just because it's Easter. This could be the day that you cross from death to life and that your emptiness gets filled in with the fullness of Christ. More than anything, that's what I want for you. And if you got drugged here by your spouse or your friend or your neighbor, I know that's what they want for you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.